Hello, listeners, and welcome to the year 2024 and the premiere of season two of Second Take Cinema, coming at you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in sunny Southend-on-Sea. I am your host, Jamie Evans, joined, as always, by my magnanimous co-host, Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everyone. And have we got a big one for you to kick off season two. A film that Rory once referred to as the worst film he has ever seen. It's time for a second take on Man of Steel. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking at Man of Steel, the first movie in DC's DCEU, their ill-fated DCEU, which just officially saw its demise this year with the release of Aquaman 2, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which I have not seen, but I am told is one of the worst movies ever made. Man of Steel is a 2013 movie directed by Zack Snyder with a story developed by David S. Goyer and Christopher Nolan, with David S. Goyer doing the actual writing of the screenplay. It stars Henry Cavill as Superman, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Michael Shannon as General Zod, with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane playing Parr and Ma Kent, respectively, as well as Russell Crowe as Jor-El. Music by Hans Zimmer. It had a budget of $258 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, its reception was mixed, generally speaking. It has an approval rating of 56% based on 344 reviews and an average rating of 6.2 out of 10. The site's consensus reads, Man of Steel's exhilarating action and spectacle can't fully overcome its detours into generic blockbuster territory. Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times said Man of Steel covered no new ground with regarding Superman films, and instead said, We're plunged back into a mostly underwhelming film with underdeveloped characters and supercharged fight scenes that drag on and offer nothing new in the way of special effects creativity. The Boston Globe's Ty Burr wrote, What's missing from this Superman saga is a sense of lightness, of pop joy. Washington Post's Anne Hornaday stated that with Hans Zimmer's turgid, overproduced score, the film is an exceptionally unpleasant viewing experience. What, because of the score? Sounds, sounds like you and Anne Hornaday have a lot in common. She's not saying just because of the score. I was going to say. But she's saying the score does not help. I mean, nothing. It, nothing, it wasn't a very standout score at all. No, was it? but 
um, honestly, you could give this the best music in the known universe. It wouldn't fix it. It wouldn't fix it because the yeah. music wasn't the problem. Yeah. But to look at some more positive reviews, Kofi Outlaw, the editor-in-chief of Screen Outlaw. Rant. Yep. Ah, oh, she an outlaw. Kofi Outlaw, editor-in-chief of Screen Rant, gave Man of Steel four out of five stars, stating Man of Steel has more than earned its keep and deserves to be the, in capital letters, iconic Superman movie for a whole new generation. He went on to name Man of Steel the best superhero movie of 2013. I can't think off the top of my head what other ones came out in 2013. <laughs> it might have been the only one. But no, <laughs> there was definitely a Marvel. I think there's been a Marvel film every year since 2008. I, mean, I feel like it's Iron Man 3 in 2013. I mean, I can guarantee Iron Man 3 is better uh, than this, and I haven't seen it. Iron Man 3 is better than it this. It would have to go some to be worse than this. Iron Man 3 is at least interesting. People don't people disagree that the twist is good, because there's a right. twist in Iron Man 3, and it pissed a lot of people off. Right. But at least it was something unexpected. There is not one single unexpected thing in this. Oh, no. This is cookie cutter. Um, let's see who else gave a good review. Uh, Jim Vajoda, sorry, Jim Vegvoda of IGN gave Man of Steel 9 out of 10 whilst praising the action sequences and the performances of Kevin Costner. I mean, Kevin Russell Costner's Crow- a good actor. Not in this, he's not. I mean, he didn't have anything to work no, with, I Jamie. No, I know. Russell Crowe and Michael Shannon. The performance of... And they're un- both good, but again, neither of them have anything of value to work with. Okay, I'm probably going to pronounce this name wrong and I apologise. The performance of Antje Trau... I think that's how it's pronounced. Okay. As Superman's adversary, Farah Ull, she was General Zod's second-in-command right. woman, uh, particularly in the Smallville battle scene, has been lauded. I mean, she she wasn't the problem in the film, to be fair. She wasn't the problem with the fight uh, scenes. Everything else was. Yeah. I, get, I, I don't have a problem with any of the actors in this. No. No, not at all. Um, anyway, this went on to obviously cause the whole big... DCEU, which, as we said, was ill-fated. And we're going to take a minute now to get right back into our review, except... Wait, what is that? Can you hear that? Oh, my God. It's time for a brand new segment, new for season two of Second Take Cinema. It's the segment Rory didn't know was coming that we're going to do every week. Woo, woo. Inspired by something we did on one of our season one episodes. I actually forget which one now. Um... We are going to do a little quiz. We're going to do these for the whole season. And if at the end of the season you have scored 70% or higher... Right. We will, I don't know. I like that you pulled that number out of your ass. Visually, oh. I could see you going, look, <laughs> you didn't even have the 70% pre-ordained. Hey, 70% like... is the pass mark to pass the mandatory training at work. Okay. So All right. <laughs> we'll use it here. If it's if good enough for medicine. More, if you score more than 70% across the whole of season two, we will watch Kill Keith. And That's not Kill a reward Keith. for me. Well, what do you want as a reward? You pick a reward No, now. you know what? We'll do Kill Keith. If you fail, because I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it upsetting you. If you but fail, you're not allowed to have your phone on. Okay, you must watch Kill Keith. Okay, and, and if you attention. fail to get seventy percent, right, you have to rewatch Serendipity. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, it's Theory. that or Human Centipede. Serendipity. <laughs> Serendipity is fine film. It's right. 
I f- can I can I just mention something quickly on serendipity? Uh, I'm aware that as of recording, and obviously this is the first episode of season two. Um, the last episode, pretty much that we put up was serendipity, and uh, I, yeah, last episode but one because yeah. Space Jam has now come out, of course. Uh, and I I kicked off on serendipity. Um, I still hold to my dislike of it and my reasons why. Uh, but I was a, a, a whiny little bitch on that episode, to be quite blunt. I'm going to try and not be that anymore, um, even if something... And it's I've, I find it very kind of you to have picked the film that, as you stated, I've stated is the worst film I've ever seen, to be the first episode of season two. Well, we wanted two. something big. We wanted something explosive. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like... <laughs> I told you I was embarrassed with serendipity, and you're like... Man of Steel, then your now, next biggest. <laughs> some of these, well, that's the thing. I'm t- I'm testing your personal growth. Fair enough. Now, some of these quizzes will be easier than others. This one might be difficult for you, but let's find out. Is it superhero based? No, All right. it's Zack Snyder based. Oh, gold. <laughs> All right. So, as luck would have it, with the ex- not counting his newest film that has just come out, Rebel Moon. Yep. Zack Snyder has made ten movies. Right. Which fits okay. perfectly with my ten question round. Right. So what you're going to name for me, in order from lowest to highest, the highest grossing Zack Snyder movies. So, in order? Yeah. So That's unfair. No, I'm never going to guess the order. We did highest grossing of 1999 that time. That was a lot of fun. It wasn't a, yeah, but there wasn't anything on the line for that one, well, To be fair, we don't have to have anything on the I've line. I've got the possibility of watching Serendipity again. I'll watch it every year anyway. Right, uh, what do true. you think is the lowest Zack Snyder film? You can ask for a hint. What, in terms of financial Gross, revenue? Yeah. In terms of financial revenue, what do you think the lowest grossing one? This is a bit of a trick question, but if you think about it, the right. answer's obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's his first one because is it Dawn of the Dead or something of the Dead? It is Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, because I thought it would be that because even though it would be a breakout success for mm. him... Overall, like compared to something like Superman, it doesn't have. And you're not wrong. That is low down the list, but it isn't the bottom. The but, like I said, it's a bit of a trick question. The bottom one is we are talking box office revenue. Now that might give you a hint at what the trick is. It's this a film doesn't have a box office. That's right. It never came out in cinemas. It stars Dave Bautista, if that helps, and it came out during the pandemic. And you are on the right line with zombies. Oh God, I don't even know the name it's of it. It's a three-hour zombie. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. It's I awful. know the. I know which one you mean, but I don't remember its name. I obviously, being Zack Snyder, I didn't. Want, I'm not a big fan of Zack Snyder, to no. be quite honest with the audience. Um, I decided it wasn't worth my time to watch, and I'd heard bad things about it anyway. Yeah. So if Zack Snyder fans didn't like it, I was like, there's probably nothing in this for me. Either. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I'm not going to guess the name on that one. That's all right. Uh, that film is Army of the Dead with a box office revenue of zero dollars. Yep, oh, fair enough. So this next one is one of only two films on the list remaining that isn't based on a previous IP. Most of his stuff is based on previous oh, IPs. Oh, so it won't be Dawn of the Dead then, because that was based on a previous IP. It was, IP. yeah. So, this, so in the ninth spot, this is a film that is large. It's got a bit of a cult following, but is largely remembered as bad. Um, and it involves schoolgirls fighting demons. It be- basically, Snyder said, "What if I could make a Japanese anime in live action?" Oh Christ! I'm not going to know this one. Angel? No, no. Alita Battle Angel was um, Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, oh, wasn't there one with a girl who had like a weapon for a leg? That's Planet Terror. 
Rodriguez again. Good director. Um, I thought you would know this one, to be fair. This is the one I'm surprised you don't know. I thought you would know this Sucker one. Punch? Sucker Punch is correct. Well mm-hmm. done. Yep, Sucker Punch it was, which made $89.7 million. Okay. In eighth place is the film that I think is Snyder's best. And you've already guessed it. It would be Dawn of the Dead. That is Dawn of the Dead, which made $102 million, written by James Gunn, which I think is what helps save that film. Pow, pow. Up next is one you... If you get this, I will just give you bonus points, because I... You could let me spend a year guessing Zack Snyder films, and I would never guess he made this. This is so, so different from everything else he but has it is ever based made. On an IP. Uh, no, no, this is the other one that's not an IP. Right. I would never guess it. I'll give you a hint. It's an animated movie. I don't mean it's on green screen. I mean it's fully CGI animated. Scanner Dark. And here's a bonus fun fact before you guess. This is the first time ever that Zack Snyder's film, a, a new Snyder film, did not hit number one in the box office. Scanner Darkly. It is not Scanner Darkly. It's after that. Ooh. And an animated... Mate, you would never guess it, to be CG fair. CG animation or 2D? CGI animation. Right. It's a film everyone has forgotten exists. I've literally never heard it. Sunny I'd with a Side of Meatballs? Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Thing. Nope, that's a Pixar movie. It's not Pixar. Disney, DreamWorks. 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 No, no. <laughs> Shrek. Don't tell me it's Shrek. No, it's oh, not. Oh, no, you said it's not based on an IP. Um, on Cloudy of Child's Meatballs was a book as well, wasn't it? Mm. To be fair, this might be a book and I just don't know it, to be fair. Blade. <laughs> honestly, no, I have no idea. Are you ready? Because you, you will not... You probably don't even remember this film coming out. <laughs> I'm going to laugh saying it. It's not even funny. God, it's just Zack Snyder directing it is funny. Right. Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahool. They're never going to guess that title It's out. a film Jesus. about owls. Animated owls of Gahul. Oh, Christ. Yeah, I... yeah, yeah. That's a Zack I Snyder movie. I remember seeing movie. the trailer for that. It looked yeah. awful. It's a Zack well, Snyder movie, and it made $140 million at the box I say office. it looked awful. The animation was really good, but in a way that was really creepy. Yeah. Like, like the actual animation itself was brilliant, yeah. to be fair. But it uh, was just really creepy seeing owls talk. Yeah. Uh, up next, number fifth on f- five on the list. Fifth on the list. Right. So all we've is, got left is IP. Uh, is IP. It is a film that he was told would be unfilmable, and Christopher Nolan has recently come out and said he thinks this film was ahead of its time. Three hundred. And if it was made today, would have been remembered much better than it was back then. Oh, Watchmen then. Watchmen, Watchmen. is correct. Yeah. It made $185 million at the box office. Yeah. Now we now that number jumps massively for this next one. So $185 million, and we're now jumping into the $400 million plus range. How many are left? Four. Well, that's you've got 300, Man of Steel, uh, Batman v Superman. Oh, what's his fourth one? And we're not counting Rebel Moon. No, we're not counting Rebel Moon. Okay. Let, let's see how we go. Go on, what do you think it is? I don't... So... Mm, so the bottom... It's not going to be Man of Steel. It's not going to be Batman v Superman. I can't think of what the fourth film is. I imagine... This is the, the oldest of the last four films he's done. It's 300 then. It is 300. Then it's going to be the third on the list Which that I don't know. $456 million. And you're right, it is the third on the list you don't know. Uh, to be fair, you could argue this is a trick one as well. 
you could argue. Because it's not a film. Because, it, it, no, it is a film. It was a made-for-home video. No, no, it is a film. It came out in cinemas. He technically only directed half of it. Oh. Oh, Christ. Which one? Was it The Suicide Squad? There was a... I remember him... He, I thought that was Batman v Superman. No, he only did half after, of... No, it was the one after Batman v Superman. Wonder Woman? No, he didn't do Wonder Woman. Patty Jenkins did Wonder Woman. It's Justice League. That's it. Which made that's it. Six, I knew. I, yeah. I keep think getting that and Batman v Superman. Well, confused. To, to be fair, Batman v Superman somehow crowbarred all the rest of the Justice League in. So yeah, I that's why. It, that's that's why it's, it's kind of nebulous. Um, so Justice League did come out in cinemas. I went to see it. It were it made six hundred and fifty eight million dollars, or as I like to disparagingly call it, Justice League. Yeah. So it's, so in my mind now, it's the Snyder Cut and Justice League. Okay, number two on the list. What do you think is the second highest grossing Snyder film of all time? The second highest? Yep. Now, I've got, basically, I've got picked between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Simple maths, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Man of Steel's going to be number two, and Batman v Superman is number one. That is correct. Two arrows for the price of one. There you go. Well, well and then, then all the rest yeah. at the end. Man of Steel made $668 million, oh, and Batman boy. v Superman Dawn of Justice... Made $874 million. Dawn of Justice, such an arrogant title for film number two. This this is the whole DC problem, is that they <laughs> they rushed, they rushed. But we'll get we're gonna talk about that later in the mm. season, because we're also gonna look at the start of the Marvel universe as well this season. Oh, okay. Um and having just rewatched that, um, it has become is that more... Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has yeah. become more apparent than ever that DC rushed way too quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, they you... wanted it all now rather than yeah. building Not, it. Not to jump to anything, because like I said, we're going to leave the comparisons for the Iron Man episode, but I will just say this. This is their first film, Man of Steel, mm. and it ends with an Avengers-level battle scene. Yes. At where least. the whole world is at stake. Yeah. In none of the Phase 1 Marvel movies is the whole world at stake. No. They are smaller threats, which is what it should be. Oh, because then build you build to the team-up. Yeah. It um, meant that the Justice League didn't really have anything special to fight against because basically Superman on his own is doing all of that anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's why, why do you need the rest of them? It's why, in my opinion, Justice League doesn't work. Like not even just the film as a concept. It's what I'm. I'm not being into comic books anyway, no. but I'm definitely not into DC comics because Superman negates the need for every other hero. Right. You don't need any of them. Like but he can't be everywhere at once. He can't be everywhere at once. But like, why do we need Batman? Like, yeah, you don't, don't really need a rich boy with lots of tech. Batman is the coolest hero. Mm. He's so cool, Batman is. There is a reason he is probably the most popular superhero in the world. Yeah. There is a reason for that. He's got the best rogues gallery, and there's just something cool and enduring about the character. But Batman is the Hawkeye of the Justice League. Yeah. Well, technically Green Arrow is the Hawkeye of the Justice League. but he, So he's the Black Widow. <laughs> right. Batman is Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Like, you don't need him. You don't need him. You need Scarlett. I always need Scarlett Johansson. But he's not Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> he's not Scarlett He is, Johansson. but he isn't. Anyway, so let's talk about Man of Steel. So this is one you put in the list, Rory. 
Was uh, it? It is. You put oh, Man of Steel on the list. I'm an idiot. Because the whole concept was to give films we disliked a second chance. That's true. So can you tell the audience about the circumstances of the first time you saw Man of Steel? Do you remember when it was, where you were, what you were doing? I was at my house years ago watching it with uh, a, a then partner. Um, it was just, we were bored and we decided we wanted to watch a film. It was on Netflix at the time. So we were like, yeah, sod it. Give it a watch. See if it comes out all right. I enjoyed the first half an hour, but not really. The reason I enjoyed the first half hour wasn't because I was enjoying the film. In fact, the first half hour is dire. If the next word's out of your mouth of Russell Crowe fighting around the world, I'm going to drop kick you. In which case, I can no longer finish this story. Good. (sighs) Honestly, it's it's just the Russell Crowe fighting around the world from South Park. That's all it is. To the point where you've got Russell Crowe literally fighting around the world. He then gets killed. We cut... Like, there's a massive time skip. We don't see um, Superman as a child. We, like, not accepting flashbacks. Yeah. We immediately cut to him as an adult on a fishing tugboat. trawler. Tugboat. Which is Taga from fucking Russell Crowe fighting around the world. And I was literally sitting there going, you know what? If all I get out of this film is constant Russell Crowe fighting around the world quotes then i will be a happy chap was but that... they died off soon after yeah. that there wasn't many left was that episode of south park before or after man of steel long before long before long about 10 years before oh really yeah yeah um, um but I... yeah that that's that's all i got when i first watched it and then i didn't actually finish the film i got two thirds of the way through maybe yeah. to the point where to they the did... point where it devolves into just CGI. Yeah, so there's a. The, it's n- it wasn't yet the point where in the finale they reach Metropolis, but when they're fighting in the small town, Smallville. Yeah, they, when they're having the fight in Smallville, I realised this was absolute, w- not worth my time. Cack. So yeah, I I basically me and my I went. This is terrible. You enjoying yourself? She went no. I went. Well, let's just turn it off then. And out of curiosity, what was your experience with Superman before that? Had you seen the Christopher Reeve ones, or I saw the Christopher Reeve ones when I was a child, but I don't remember them. Mm. Um, I hadn't Superman seen cartoon comic books out like that. I'd. I'll be honest. The only real connection I've had with much Superman stuff, other than odd appearances in the odd video game, like the infamous Superman sixty four. Yeah. Uh, or even Mortal when he's about versus DC Mortal Kombat versus DC universe, uh, because I like Mortal Kombat and they, uh, the, the Mortal Kombat team now make the DC universe games. Is it the injustice games? Yeah. Yeah. They make those. So I've, I've had a little here and there, but as far as TV and film, the closest I've really got is Lois and Clark from right. the early nineties. Dean, Dean Kane and Terry Atcher in it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I did want to see the one prior to this where Kevin Spacey was Lex Luthor. Superman Returns. Yeah, but I never With got Brandon around to Ralph. seeing it. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, it can't be worse than this. I can't imagine I, d- I it's don't worse than know. This. I don't know. It's pretty bad. Oh, really? There is a bit slight spoilers, but who cares? So obviously Kryptonite makes Superman weak. Yeah. So Lex Luthor builds an entire island out of kryptonite. You, you know, this super rare mineral that's not meant to be found many places. And certainly so, not on Earth. Yeah. Somehow Lex Luthor gets enough of it to build an entire island plus his evil fortress out of it. Nice. Superman comes to the fortress and obviously gets dead weak because, you know, kryptonite. But then lifts the entire island out of the ocean. And you're like, but, but it's made of kryptonite. But we have this problem in this film. You're holding... There's actually a close-up of his face 
and the kryptonite's right there, like an inch from his face. Yeah. And he's just lifting... Now, to be fair, the biggest crime that film did is it derailed Brandon Routh's career. And Brandon Routh, by all accounts, is a lovely guy. He's not. He's not. He's not gonna. He's never gonna be an Oscar-winning actor. But he's not a bad actor, and he should have had a better career than he had. Right. But Superman Returns derailed it for quite a few years. Oh dear. Yeah. Um. My, then this also has inconsistencies. Like, there's the point where Superman just decides he realizes he can breathe in outer space. And then General Zod towards the end is like, like they have, can't breathe in outer space. Next minute he can, and you're like, what? Yeah, because yeah, earlier in the film, uh, when it, we're hearing Zod's backstory, uh, he's like, oh, well, once we escaped from the Phantom Universe, we went to the old colonies of Kryptonians, and they'd all killed each other or whatever. Mm. Um, but they're walking around in these massive mech suits because, like, with bubble heads, yeah. so they can breathe. But then at the end. Both of them are breathing during a fight in space. Yeah. And we know they have to breathe because when um, Superman goes on to Zod's ship, basically... He's he can't went, breathe the atmosphere, can't can breathe he? the atmosphere. It's like, oh, it's different type, basically whatever their version of oxygen is. Yeah. And uh, Lois Lane has to wear that uh, mask thing Helmet on. Thing, yeah, yeah, so she can breathe while in that atmosphere. Yeah. And vice versa, the... Um, what's her name? The female Zod... Farah L. That's it. She wears the, that mask mostly when she's on Earth. Yeah. So we do know that breathing matters, but there's nothing to breathe in space, yeah. regardless of which it is, like whether it's human, oxygen, or something else, there is nothing. Yeah, yeah. So it, it defeats its own... If you're going to do it, just do it. Just go, oh, they don't need to breathe. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. I, I'm not a big... I'm not the sort of audience this film was made for. I'll say that right off the bat because I'm not a Superman fan. I think you've got about um, five too many brain cells. Don't be mean. <laughs> I've seen the first two Christopher Reeve Superman films when I was a kid. I literally can't really remember anything that happens in them. At right. one point in the second one, this is the bit I always do remember. In the second one, he takes the S off of his chest right. and throws it like a frisbee at General Zod. Nice. Uh, who is played by Terence Stamp in the Terence Stamp's a good actor, man. One. Yeah, well, Michael Shannon's a good actor. It's He's not, not Terence Stamp. I'd put him on par with Terence Stamp. Michael Shannon's amazing. Well, I, I must have missed all the... F unless he's have you seen shape of water no i haven't he's brilliant in shape of water okay i'll watch shape really of water menacing then. um i'm just not a big superman fan i've always felt that the character is too overpowered yeah um and it's impossible to make him interesting this film just proved that to me mm. um i i'm not so I don't want to be a hypocrite here because the thing is big CGI battles can work Avengers Endgame the entire last act is a giant CGI battle between the Avengers and Thanos' army the difference is you've had 24 at, uh, films at that point leading up to that momentous moment you know all the characters and the battle the battle is actually filled with all these little character moments this the entire last act is CGI buildings falling down. Yeah, it's just people being battered through buildings back and forth. Yeah. Like and, a really crappy game of Pong. Yeah, and I just, for me personally, I wasn't interested. I'll tell you, there's so there are many issues with this film for me. Um, to try and... I don't... 
Direction-wise, it's probably, to be fair, the direction's probably not the biggest problem with it. Um, the biggest problem this film has is its script. Its script is awful. And I don't just mean it didn't work for me. I mean, it's genuinely awful. Um, allow me to explain that, because that, that sounds really arrogant. The script in this, it feels like a connection of scenes that don't mean anything, that don't coalesce. Mm. With there's a whole like basically the entire second act. Even you got to this point, Jamie. Got to a point where you're like, I I actually don't know what we're doing now. Why are we here? Why yeah, is this all happening? Yeah, one minute he's on tugboat, then he's the bartender in a bar, and then he's, and then I the bit I still don't get is why Lois Lane was in the Antarctic. Yep. She is the journalist of a local New York newspaper, well Metropolis. Yeah, but it's a stand-in for New York. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, like. That, that's just ridiculous. What is she, yeah, why would they have sent her there? She's there with the military. Also, we don't know why um, Superman is there. Because he's at that mm. point, he's still Clark Kent. Yeah. And he's he's just bumming around. He yeah, finds he's faked an identity, hasn't he? She finds out. Yeah, but, but he's gone there, found, found the spaceship that they thought was just some Soviet-era tugboat, like a uh, submarine. Yeah. But he... When he finds it, he just goes off for a walk. He finds it's a ship. It's like, but we don't know how he knows that, or how he knows that's there, or did he just, by pure chance, happen upon that job? Yeah. Like none of the other jobs led to this one. It wasn't like he started working in the bar. It's like he was heard following a, a trail. About, yeah. Yeah. We didn't get any, which would have been better if those. But they just they're so random. He literally starts off as a man on tugboat doing fishing. Then he's a man in a bar. Then he's this. Then he's this. Now he's the man in the Arctic. And you're like, why are we here? And they try and wrap that up with Lois Lane going, if you just follow all the little breadcrumbs, a story starts to unfold. And you're like. Can you tell me what that is? Because I can't see it. Like, And the other problem is this as well, is even after that point, once we've gotten to the point where he's like, I am Superman, and he's... Even then, the scenes don't lead towards a conclusion, or there's no theme. I think that's yeah. the key. There's no overriding theme of what this film is about. They've gone, right, we need to do the history of Superman. So the entire first act is pointless literally pointless you don't need it you could cut the whole lot the film would be better for yeah. it um but it's there because it's in the comics and i think that's always been i think that's the issue with the script it's in the comics so we must but there's no logic or consistent internal logic to this film yeah. for the narrative going where it's going and I, I mean, I, as part of that i want to kind of talk about the writer David S. Goya. Because David S. Goya is seemingly he's a man who can write the best and the worst of scripts from what I can see. Now, I don't know if his scripts start off good and get manipulated either in a good or a negative way by people or what. But, for example, so the ones I've seen. So I'll only comment on the David S. Goya uh, films that I've seen. Starting in 1993, he did a film called Arcade. We're going to cover that on our sister show, VGMP, uh, eventually. It would be considered a culture movie for that. But it's basically about... It has... Um, oh, what's his name? He plays Q in Star Trek Next Generation. John Delancey. John Delancey. Um, he's the only name in it. Uh, well, who was a name at the time. And basically, it's about an arcade machine, a brand new arcade machine, that sucks children into it and then kills them within the game. Okay. Uh, it's terrible 
Um, and a lot of the visual effects that are on the cover aren't in the game in the film. Right. Because they developed all the artwork for a very Tron-looking game, and then Disney went, that looks like Tron, we're going to sue. So they changed all the graphics of the game in the film to be like a medieval setting, so it didn't look anything like Tron. So now the poster is completely a lie, because the poster wasn't changed to match. Um, so you've got like all the Tron style grid lines and everything else that doesn't happen in the film. Um, but yeah, that script was terrible. Um, that script needed a lot more polish on the flip side in 98, he did a film called dark city, which we will cover on STC. I love dark city. It's a really interesting cyberpunky style. Um, like it's a dark film noir and it's, it's a really interesting film. Uh, then he did the blade trilogy, which are, you know, there's a mixed response between the three, but generally the Blade trilogy is considered quite highly. Certainly the first Blade is considered very highly. He then did Batman Begins, which was a good film. I I thought it was a great film. The Dark Knight, which is to me still the best superhero movie ever made. Uh, Then he did The Dark Knight Rises, but then he also did Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Um, And then he followed Dark Knight Rises with Man of Steel. Uh, which I think is absolutely awful. He followed that up in 2019 with Terminator Dark Fate. So there's, which, you know, is an okay film, but the story could have been stronger. So I'm not really sure, I'm really not sure what to make of... His writing career. Yeah, because it seemed, again, like, you compare this to something like The Dark Knight, it's the same writer. So it's not an unfair comparison. It's the same writer, but The Dark Knight establishes its themes from start to finish and pays them off one by one in a really satisfying way and seems to understand that in order to really kick the superhero genre up a gear, you need to use those themes and then bend those themes around your characters to try and make them fit. This doesn't do any of that. I think there's three major problems with Man of Steel. Mm. problem numero uno is that the actual villain plot makes no sense the whole plot so for for those who don't know uh krypton explodes general zod escapes the phantom zone and wants to recreate krypton using a thing called a codec which has a store of all the genetic material of krypton because what we learn in this which i didn't think this was part of the superman mythology but maybe it is i don't know if this is from the comics or if it's unique to this film uh what we get told is that on krypton they don't have children naturally anymore everyone is bred in a test tube for a specific purpose in life and general zod was specifically bred to be a military leader he can't do anything else the problem is is they only he only states that at the very end just before he dies it should have been stated earlier so we get a more of a story to him well i was gonna say i think this whole i think that bit assuming that isn't in the comics it feels like that entire bit has only been added in to give zod an excuse to come to earth yeah. looking for superman anyway the problem is the villain's plan makes no sense because he wants to use this codec to terraform earth and turn earth into krypton which obviously would be uninhabitable for humans if he's got this big machine that can terraform planets how come no one says to him hey zod here's the codec there's a planet called mars Yep. Literally, in your spaceship, it's like a day's trip away. Not even that, probably. <laughs> Go to Mars, 
do Mars, right? But fine, let's brush that under the carpet for a minute. The other two problems lie in the fact that this film is trying... And this ties into what you said about there's no theme. The problem is this film is trying to have two themes at once, and in trying to have two themes at once, it is doing neither. Okay. Theme number one is the with great power comes great responsibility storyline. Now, if that's what you want to do... And there's a film there. There's a film there. Oh, Spider-Man did it. This entire film, and I know this won't make me popular, mm. this entire film should be teenage Clark Kent. Yeah. We shouldn't get to Henry Cavill. We shouldn't get to Zod. It's too early for Zod. Yeah. Or fine, fine. Have Zod be the villain if you really want to. But you're right. I think he's too OP of a villain to do for a teenage for film Superman. One. Yeah. That's, uh, it doesn't well, matter whether it's they just teenagers. Didn't to, they just didn't want one. to do Lex Luthor, didn't they? It's because yeah. it's Dark Knight. Someone pointed this out the other day to me. Dark Knight, being as successful as it was, did create this trend in superhero films where you never do the arch nemesis in the first film anymore. Yeah. You always save them for the second film, yeah. which has resulted... Sometimes that's benefited, i.e. Dark Knight. But Batman Begins, if it had the Joker in it, would be terrible. Yeah, it it makes sense. It's not the joke. You need to establish the yeah. main character first, and then your main villain. But with some films, it means that the first film ends up feeling like a prologue. Yeah, to the real film, which is where they fight their arch enemy. But that's anyway. when you need to establish a strong theme. Batman Begins gets around that by not having the Joker at all. Yeah, but it establishes the theme of what Batman is striving towards. What yeah. is what sort of hero or potential villain is Batman going to be? Yeah. What are the rules he'll establish for himself and why? That's how you set that yeah. up. This doesn't do that. Yeah. So this either yeah. needs to all be young Clark Kent, because I tell you who suffers the most in the way it's been done, and that's Kevin Costner, because yeah. his character is written like a fucking moron. Oh, he is a moron. He's, he's obviously trying to do the Uncle Ben great power, great responsibility thing, <laughs> and that's fine. But that's not the way that Pa Kent comes across in this film. He comes across as a guy who's sending the message, it's better to fit in than be yourself and get bullied for it. Yes. Yeah. And here's the thing, like, I can understand the whole keep it down, like, keep it low-key or whatever because of the ignorance of others, right? That would be fine. Like, we we could talk about this in a social context, um, the past of like homosexuality, for example, like the when when it got to the point where it was like, don't ask, don't tell for the military and things mm. like that. It was like, well, you, we're not going to be we're not going to have a problem with you being gay. Just shut up and don't let us know that you are. Obviously, that's changed a lot, thankfully, in a good way. But that's what this message is, which probably would have worked in the 70s and 80s mm. because we were that was considered progress versus the outright derision of gay people yeah. prior. But now we're at the stage where it's like, why should you hide what you are? Yeah. The story of Shh, shut up, just blend in yeah. and don't pre- and pretend you're not what you really are. Yeah. Doesn't sell it. But anymore. it even goes more extreme than that. There's literally a bit where he basically suggests that Clark should have let his entire class drown. Yes. On a school trip. At that point, you're like, you've lost all yeah. empathy with this character. His, his character literally dies. Mm. Rather than be like, it's it's so easy for Clark to save him, and also so because it's a tornado, people might wouldn't necessarily believe what they see anyway. Yeah. Something fast zipped through and kit like swiped this guy, yeah. and he somehow survived in the middle of a tornado. Yeah, 
You'd believe that he got swept up by something. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. But no, no, son. And that quiet... Oh, it's so oh, horrible. It's, it's, it's pretentious, but it is completely unearned, where it's just like, yeah. no, son. But no words, just the hand up and the shaking yeah. of the head the... as the music swells, yeah. and you're like, fuck off. The second theme that the film is trying to do, but is failing to explore because it's trying to do too many things at once, is the Krypton versus Earth thing, which is Superman is born of one place, but he's been adopted by Earth. Sure. Which side will he come down on? If that's what you want to do, you can do that as well. But basically, if you're going to do that, we need to forget the whole Krypton bit at the beginning. We, like yep. you said, we don't need it. That can be it's an expensive easily. waste of money. Yeah. Um, what you basically need that to be then is less of this chopping and changing shit where he's walking around all these different places. He has all these different jobs. And it instead needs to be, like you suggested, he's living a life. He becomes... Why do we wait till the end for him to become Clark Kent, the reporter? Just have him be Clark Kent, the reporter. He meets Lois Lane. He's starting to fall in love. He's got his mom. You can have Park Kent already be dead. We don't need him. Um show how he's adapting to life on earth but he's got struggles with it as well where he no, doesn't you know feel like what? he fits in i'd keep i'd then keep have Kent because it gives when okay i'll let you finish first and then, then have zod turn up which is what you suggested yeah but come in peace in air quotes yeah posing to superman like we're family yeah which yeah. you know fine fucking change the comics and have general zod be like jor-el's brother have him be clark you don't uncle. even need to he could just he lie could just about lie. it yeah but to be fair how the hell would clark to be fair go? i think i'd be more interested just me personally if zod if it's not necessarily a lie at first when he reaches out to superman Mm. it's more of a genuine oh we've come to rescue you we're your family yeah and and they are shocked and hurt that superman's like well i've kind of got a family now i've adapted to life on earth i like earth they're lesser life forms why would you want to stay with these people yeah and i realize i'm asking a i realize i'm asking a hollywood blockbuster to become a meaningful thought on fucking adoption no no but (laughs) david s goyer did a really intelligent screenplay for the dark knight yeah so he it's it the writer has done it before. Yeah. Hollywood has done it before. Yeah. There's um, no reason that this couldn't have done it. Yeah. And, true. And yeah. I think the only reason that I would keep the uncle alive, I'd probably have the, if you're going to kill off the uncle, have him kill, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have him killed by Zod. Yeah. As part of the friction of your, your blood family versus your, um, adoptive family. Yeah. You know, so eventually he kills, uh, like, Par Kent, yeah, and that is what gives Clark Kent the the rise of like, oh my, like this person is dangerous, and yeah. you know, because he's he's not only racist, but he's willing to kill the what quote unquote lesser creatures, yeah, to suit his own ends, yeah. That's a much better story, yeah. And you've already got a theme built in; yeah. you don't have so, to shoehorn it in because that's yeah. built into the frame of the characters being aliens, all of their history, and all the stuff you've got with Russell Crowe's character and the learning about his father. Save that for a second film. Yeah. You don't need it in this one. You've overcomplicated it. Yeah. So I think the building blocks for a good film are in there somewhere. But unfortunately, the film is trying to be too many things at once. And it loses any sense of cohesion or identity. Um now let's talk about Zack Snyder for a minute as the director. Because I'm sure. actually going to... I'm going to defend Snyder here for a minute. Okay. Because... Everything I know about Snyder, he seems like a perfectly nice guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Never heard anything negative about him as Burton. And I and I respect Snyder in the sense that I would argue Snyder is an auteur filmmaker just as much as Tarantino is, Christopher Nolan is, etc. In that Snyder has a definitive visual style that is his. You can tell when you're yeah, watching yeah, yeah. a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, when you're watching it, you know it's Gaw- Snyder. Don't unless you? it's Owls of Gore. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, that one's very anti-Snyder. Yeah. Unless maybe we watch it and he's uh, blue-tinted over that as well. You, If you watch all... I have seen most <laughs> of his films. If you watch his films in a chronological order, you can see him adapting and changing as a filmmaker. Yep. You can physically see him growing. And I've watched interviews. I watched the making of Army of the Dead, where he talks about... Uh, this is a director. You don't often hear directors talking this way. Not on like special features. He's talking about these different kinds of lenses he likes to use in his camera. Oh, that's interesting. And how he at that's the minute more cinematography, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And at the minute he's upset, and I forget the name of the lens. You'll have to forgive me. Kalzice. I can't remember, mate. Oh, but he's okay. obsessed with a certain type of lens that gives you an incredibly, incredibly shallow depth of field. Oh, I'm yeah, talking yeah. so shallow that the tip of your nose can be in focus and your eyes will be out of focus. Yeah, I'm it's, not a fan of that lens, no. except for in specific use cases. Now, he uses it a lot in Army of the Dead. Oh, right. Uh, okay. But it makes sense when you watch the special and he's like, oh, I'm interested in this. So I respect Snyder for that. I don't like his visual style. Personally, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I think most of his films have this awful, dreary look to them. I mean, this, this, this has film, it. Yeah, this film is really drab to look at. All the DC movies are. Yeah. They've all got this drabness to them. I find uh, them very ugly, actually. Yeah. It's, like, this film specifically. like This looks ugly, yeah. It's really ugly. Um, yeah. It's very ugly to look at. And what was hilarious is back when people were doing the whole Marvel versus DC thing, People were going, well, DC's better because it's more adult, it's darker. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I think that's a good way for them to go. It should be darker in theme. It does not need to be physically darker to look at. Yeah, so... Like, that's a shallow way of being dark. And some of it... Okay, so this is going to be a bit nerdy, if you if you will indulge me somewhat. Are we talking colour science, bro? We're talking a little bit of colour science. Not a huge amount, because I'm not an expert at colour science. But I know a little bit. Anyway, that's, I'm not going to go into, like, you should really pick Q2274. No, not that nerdy. But basically, anyone who's in the industry will have heard of a lot. But anyone who hasn't, uh, a lot or an LUT is essentially like a colour plug-in that you put into uh, a piece of editing software, usually things like DaVinci Resolve or something like that. Uh, but basically, what it does is you plug it into your, uh, your film stream where you've got the video, and it will automatically recolor it to basically paint it with certain key colors. Uh, so in this film, you can see a lot of oranges and blues, which is very popular around the 2013 year. Uh, but you And you get this a lot. It's basically an evolution of the uh, saturation like overlay. In the uh, After the Matrix came out, and they had the purple and the green overlays, in uh, like film after that, a lot of films, even that ones that were nothing even remotely the same as The Matrix, we go, to make it look professional, we'll stick a green tint over it, and it'll all look green, and that'll be fine, and it looked ugly, but it was just because that's what they thought was quote-unquote professional. Lots have become a similar thing, just with a slightly more expanded palette. Rather than one colour, they'll use two or three, sometimes four. Now, the problem with certain lots, like the one that's used in this, it gives one of two effects. If it's not used properly, and you don't tweak it to give your to have um, 
to actually have an, an idea of what you want the final image to look like before you shoot. What you end up doing is, for me, it looks like the lot was used because of green screening. Basically, even in shots without green screen, uh, you'll use the same lot. Because you want the film to match. You want it all to match. So anything with green screening, you've got to remove green from your image. So immediately, your color palette is reduced. So in order to compensate for that, like when you switch from a shot with green screen to one without, suddenly there's more vivid green colors in one than the other. So to get around that, you stick in a lot, re- like dial down the green, boost the blue yeah, or the and orange. And that's how you end up with all your trees and your shrubbery and stuff like that looking that awful muddy, dull colour. Yeah, like look. it is in Spectre. Spectre is another... Oh, I haven't seen Spectre. Yeah, Spectre has that problem. That, yeah. I watched it in the cinema and what the fuck have they done to the colours in this film? Yeah. Um, and that was the proof of it. I saw the green... Like, oh, nice fresh grass bond in the middle of the... And you're like, is it... It's yellow. This grass looks like it needs water. <laughs> yeah, it looks dead. Um, but anyway, so number one, it, if you're not using it with... If you're not using it artistically and actually building that into the frame, you're just applying it in post. It looks like a way to get around the fact that actually you didn't plan your shot's colour palette very well and you've just used one clean wipe to get around green screening. Certainly with a film like this, which is absolutely chock full of green screening. The other issue is that it is cheaper, it is easier, it's used a lot in indie film, but the other option you could do is paint with light. Um, so if you're, and obviously that's a lot easier if you're not doing any green screening because you don't have to worry about a reduced color palette in post. But set up colorful lighting, set up anything anywhere to give your characters a this is what they used to do in the 80s because they didn't have a lot you couldn't just slap a lot in and go right now i'm gonna do blade runner for example and then i'm gonna stick blue and orange in it and then that's blue and orange in post yeah you know you had to go right well in order to get blue and orange in this scene i need to light with blue lighting and orange lights over here and actually they had to work around issues with the types of lights they had blade runner is quite fascinating for that one of the lights that they used, um, you know the, have you seen Blade Runner? Yeah, you know long, the bit. Long time ago. Yeah, yeah. You you probably remember at least somewhat the the scene where uh, the villains Roy Batty and Rucker Howell, blah, blah blah go into the uh, room that's frozen, and you've got the old the old Chinese man who works on stuff, and he's like, and, oh, no, I don't remember. Oh, that. okay. Well, in that scene, they're in a small enclosed space. It's really icy. It should be quite a vivid blue. It's slightly green tinted. And the reason it's green tinted was because they lit it for blue, mm. but that because they were using, you know, gas powered bulbs, not modern LEDs and stuff like that, that type of tube, the gases that would expand would give off a bluish light, but that came across slightly green. Right. When and the closer you got to the lamps the light source, the greener it got. And because it was in one small enclosed space, it looked more green. Right. So they had to paint with light. They had to go, right, well, if we're using this light, we have to compensate with this type of a light. They don't do that anymore. We're painting post, just slap in a lot, done. Yeah, just do generic lighting so the scene is lit and then yeah. add everything in post. Yeah, yeah, but the problem is is you end up with what now look like very bland films. Yeah. Because everything's filmed in a bland sense and then just slap in a lot on post... I'm sorry, guys. It just doesn't do the job you think it is. Yeah. A lot should support your lighting choices. It should not be a replacement for, them. for your lighting choices. Yeah. 
Um, that's that's me on my soapbox. I'm sorry, but I I thought no, I agree though. This they, this is one of my biggest problems with this film is it's ugly to watch. Yeah, I I personally felt it was every, like right down to Superman's costume, and I know They've I know the colors and I know they're trying to make it more adult. And that's fine. I get that. Like that's why he hasn't got the pants on the outside of the <laughs> costume anymore. But you are mist- You've got a very shallow idea of making it dark. It's the same thing. Um, it's Shadow the, the, the Hedgehog. Yeah, style it's Shadow dark. the Hedgehog. It was there was a British show, a spin-off of Doctor Who called Torchwood. That all the marketing they were like, it's an adult version of Doctor Who. It's more adult. This. It's more adult. That. And when you watch it, it's so obvious that they're trying to be adult. Yeah. That just every other word out the character's mouth is some sort of sexual thing. It's it's swearing. Too it, it's too try hard. This film is too try hard. Yeah. It's trying too hard to go, look how adult we are, look look how adult we are. With a Superman movie. Yeah. Like soup I'm sorry, but Superman is like Captain America. Like he's founded on this patriotism. He's red, white, and blue. Like you know what I mean. It's, he's literally red, white, and blue. Yeah, well, he's yellow. He's yellow in his Superman. Red, yellow, and blue. Oh, okay. The S, not in this film, but traditionally the S has yellow. Oh, yeah, in good point. Done it. But you know what I mean. The point is, he's made to be this all-American square-jawed hero played by a Brit, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they weren't square it, enough in America. Yeah, it just. Yeah, un- unfortunately, my sec- this is only my second ever viewing of Man of Steel, and it has not done anything to improve my opinion of it, I'm afraid. Um, I-, I found it... Don't get me wrong, unlike yourself, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the worst film I've ever seen. It's I have, I have seen much worse than this. Mm. This is just so forgettable to me. Like, I don't need to ever think about this film again. I don't care. And I feel like Obviously, we've now got twenty twenty hindsight. Yeah, this this bad of a start is so indicative of how disastrous the DCEU went on to be. Yeah, because it never it never recovered. It never no. picked up again. Every film they've done has been bad. Um, the best one I think is Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman. And then Wonder Woman that 2. That got a lot of props, didn't it, when it came out? Yeah. But then the the second one, Wonder Woman 1984, which, to be fair, I haven't seen yet, is apparently awful. I did see The Flash uh, earlier this... Uh, no, last year, in 2023, I saw The Flash. Um, that was bad. The Flash was very bad. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about Man of Steel, quite frankly. Um, so I think we'll wrap up there. I was kind of hoping that coming back to this film with some hindsight, I might be a bit more enamoured with it, but unfortunately not. Uh, as I say, though, Superman is a hard character to make interesting to me because I, I just have never identified with him, really. Um, anywho, that calls a close on the season uh, two opening episode. We are back. We're very excited to be back. We've got lots of exciting films planned to talk to you all about. And we've got a load of guests lined up this season who are going to be coming on to talk about various movies from all sorts of genres and time periods, etc, etc. So, without further ado, I think it's time to say goodbye and call it a wrap on Man of Steel.